Well, if you have a Bible with you uh, today or in front of you today, I do encourage you to open it to Acts chapter 3. We are three weeks away from Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday, and uh, we really want to use this time to prepare our hearts for Easter and for the message of Easter. So we're going to take a short break from our series in the book of Daniel. We will pick that up again on the other side of Easter. But for the next three weeks, we are doing a series that we have called Prophet, Priest, and King. And uh, the book of Daniel, like all books in the Bible, ultimately points us to Jesus. But there are more direct routes to get there. And sometimes it's good for us just to go back to some of the basic building blocks of our faith, to look at some of the basic truths about the person and work of Jesus. And we are going to do that through these three ideas of Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. And so I want to begin this morning by catechizing you. Uh, Don't be alarmed or fearful. Don't let that scare you. When our kids were younger, we took them through the children's version of the Westminster Shorter Catechism as part of our family devotions. Now that catechism consists of 145 questions and answers. We modified the baptism questions from that catechism. But questions 64 to 71 of that catechism deal with the offices of prophet, priest, and king. And so I'm going to go through those with you this morning. I'm going to read the questions and answers for you. And maybe by the end of these next three weeks, you will know those questions and answers by heart. And the questions are these. The first question is, what offices has Christ? The answer is Christ has three offices. What are they? The offices of a prophet, of a priest, and of a king. How is Christ a prophet? Because he teaches us the will of God. How is Christ a priest? Because he died for our sins and pleads with God for us. How is Christ a king? Because he rules over us and defends us. And then why do you need Christ as a prophet? Because I am ignorant. Why do you need Christ as a priest? Because I am guilty. Why do you need Christ as a king? Because I am weak and helpless. And I remember going through that with our kids. Again, they were quite young. But I remember thinking at the time that we went through it, that if the average Christian was equipped with just that much theology, it would be a great improvement in many cases. Now, the the, the truth is we often have sort of a one-dimensional picture of Jesus in our minds. Jesus has lots of titles, Savior and Lord and Redeemer, Son of Man, Son of God, Prophet, Priest, King. And there's lots of overlaps between all of those titles. And we don't relate to Jesus according to just one of those things. But I think there's great benefit to us in going through those things and exploring in greater detail, what does it mean to say that Jesus is our prophet? Or what does it mean to say that Jesus is our priest or our high priest? What does it mean to say that Jesus is our king? So we're going to start today by looking at the idea of Jesus as our prophet. And our text for today, as I mentioned, is found in Acts chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 17 to 26. 
Now, just to kind of set this up, this is actually part of a sort of mini sermon that the Apostle Peter gave after a lame beggar had been healed. We're going to pick it up in verse 17, and this is what it says. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring, all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So I want to examine the idea of Jesus as a prophet by asking three questions. What is a prophet? What good is a prophet? And what are we supposed to do with a prophet? The first question is the most basic. What is a prophet? Now, when most people hear the word prophet, they think a prophet is someone who tells the future or foretells the future, says what is going to happen years from now or in a season from now. And there's an aspect of truth in that. Prophets like Isaiah foretold the coming of Jesus hundreds of years before it happened. But the primary function of a prophet is simply to speak the words of God. Now, he wasn't the first to be referred to as a prophet, but Moses was considered Israel's greatest prophet until Jesus came. And here's what God said to Moses. He said, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak those words to them or to the people. That's the basic idea of what it means to be a prophet. It means one who is a, an authorized spokesperson for God. So he doesn't just sort of share his opinions on a subject. He doesn't kind of come up with hot takes on a current issue. A prophet speaks the very words of God. He speaks what God tells him to say. And as we're thinking about these categories of prophet, priest, and king, I said there's some overlap between them, but we can actually differentiate between the roles of a prophet and a priest. Now, in a sense, both the prophet and the priest act as intermediaries, right? They are mediators between us and God. But we can think of it this way. A prophet speaks 
to us on behalf of God, and a priest speaks to God on behalf of us. So in short, a prophet is God's mouthpiece, his authorized spokesperson. Now, when you read through the Gospels, it becomes clear that Jesus thought of himself as a prophet and that those who encountered him thought of him as a prophet as well. So when Jesus had his famous conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well, it doesn't take long before she starts to recognize something in him. And it says, it tells us in John 4, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Later in the Gospel of John, Jesus is going to stand up at one of the the great Jewish feasts and he's going to begin a, a, a teaching there. And as the people hear him teach, this was their response. It says, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. And when they say the prophet, they're thinking in terms of the prophet that God said he would raise up, one like Moses. Now, part of what caused these individuals to recognize that Jesus was a prophet or the prophet was the fact that he spoke with authority. And when you read through the Sermon on the Mount, and I know our youth are going through it right now, but you find a pattern there, right? Jesus will say, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, right? You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit murder, but I say to you, anyone who is angry with his brother has already committed murder in his heart. Or you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, Anyone who looks with lustful intent after a woman has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And when Jesus finishes the Sermon on the Mount, we're told how people responded. It says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. See, that's what a prophet does. He teaches with authority. So Jesus was more than a prophet, but he was not less than a prophet. He spoke God's very words to people. So the second question that we might naturally ask is, what good is a prophet? If a prophet is one who speaks the word of God, we might wonder what practical help there is for us in that. I mean, it's just words. When I was in Bible college, I served as the student body vice president during my final year. Kind of big time, I know. But one of the things that I, one of the great privileges I really had during that year was that I got to speak uh, at a number of the morning chapels and even at some of the Sunday night church services that were held there. But I'll never forget that the, the as that year was coming to a close and they held sort of the student, you know, student body or student council elections for the next year, one of the guys who was running for vice president, part of his sort of campaign speech was, I hope to be a vice president who does more than just preach. Now, I didn't take it as an insult, but you kind of understand the sentiment, right? I mean, it's just words. What good is a prophet? All they do is talk. When I think about that, I think about what happened in the book of Judges in the Old Testament. Now, the book of Judges presents us with a picture of what Israel's history was like, sort of the cycle of Israel's 
history. The people of Israel would do evil and God would then hand them over to one of their foreign oppressors. In the midst of their misery, they would call out to God and God would raise up a deliverer or a savior, a judge who would rescue them. But there's a fascinating, it's this downward spiral that takes place as you read through the book of Judges. But there's a fascinating account that we read about in in Judges chapter 6, and it reads this way. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel and said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. Now, just think about how ridiculous this is, at least on the surface of it. The people are in distress. They're calling out to God for help. And God sends them a preacher, a prophet. I mean, what good is a preacher, right? This would be like calling BCAA when you're stranded on the side of the road and they dispatch a philosopher instead of a mechanic or tow truck driver. Now, in that instance, God did send a judge or a deliverer, a rescuer, but first he sent a prophet. Now, we might think that their greatest need was to be delivered from their enemies, rescued from their mess. But what the prophet did is he told them how they got into that mess in the first place. And sometimes what we need most is not deliverance from our circumstances. Sometimes what we need most is an understanding of how we got into our mess. And what we need most is to hear the words of God to us. So what good is a prophet? Well, I think there are at least three things that we can say in answer to that out of this passage. The first one is that a prophet is necessary to remedy our ignorance. Now, this was the answer I gave you from the catechism that I shared earlier. Why do we need a prophet? Why do you need a prophet? Because I am ignorant. But this is also the answer from this passage. Listen again to verses 17 and 18. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Now, when Peter says you acted in ignorance, he's referring to everything connected with the rejection and crucifixion of Jesus. And there's a sense in which both the people and the rulers acted in ignorance. But the truth is that everything about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus had been foretold by the prophets. Now, even in modern legal cases, you will sometimes hear the phrase, ignorance of the law is no excuse. Right? What that means is just because you didn't know It was against the law to, you know, drive 150 miles an hour. It's no excuse. You're still held accountable for that. And what Peter says to the crowd is not just that ignorance is no excuse, 
but that there's actually no excuse for your ignorance. God had foretold all of this by the mouth of the prophets. And the idea that, that we need a prophet or that a prophet is necessary to remedy our ignorance ought to lead us to both a general application and a specific application. So generally, we can see that the prophets spoke in such a way to make God known so that we're not left to guess what God might be like. And when you read through the Gospels, you find that Jesus did this all the time. I mean, so many of his parables begin, the kingdom of heaven is like. And then he will go on to describe not just the kingdom, but the king, right? He's like, a, he's like someone who hired workers and sent them out to work in his vineyard, or he's like a landowner. Tells us what the king is like. Jesus, as our prophet, helps us understand what God is like. This means we're not left in the dark when it comes to what God is like. We're not like the proverbial blind men, all kind of, you know, grasping a different part of the elephant, not sure if we've got the the leg or the trunk. It also means that we're not free to just sort of think about God any way that we might like, think about him the way we might wish or imagine him to be. God has revealed himself. Theology is not like a -a Build-A-Bear workshop, right? You don't kind of just get to say, you know what? I want one that's soft and cuddly, you know, with big eyes and a heart that pulsates when I touch it. That's the kind of teddy bear I want. That's the kind of God I want. We don't get to do that. The prophets have made God known. To do that is to reverse the order of creation. It is to say we want a God who's made in our image and our likeness. So that's the general application of the principle. But Peter's point is actually more specific. While he refers to the prophets in general and what they said, his main focus is on one prophet in particular, Jesus. See, while the prophets could tell us what God was like, Jesus could show us. This is the point made by the author of Hebrews, where he says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. See, Jesus is the prophet that God promised to raise up. And he has made God known to us in a way that no prophet who came before him ever could. So we need a prophet to remedy our ignorance. Second reason we need a prophet is to turn us from error. Peter says what he says about the prophets in verses 17 and 18, all that they predicted. And then he says this in verse 19, repent therefore and turn back. Peter is now playing the role of a prophet. And what he says is repent. This has always been part of the message of the prophets. They forewarned what would happen if people continued down the path that they were traveling. Prophets make people uncomfortable. They speak for God, and they are not afraid to say the difficult thing. 
they're not afraid to confront. You might think of the prophet Nathan from the Old Testament. He was the prophet who came to King David after he had sexual relations with Bathsheba and then had her husband killed. So Nathan came to King David and he told him a story about a rich man and a poor man. The rich man owned many herds and flocks, but the poor man had just one little ewe lamb, which he loved. The rich man hosted a traveler who came to town, but rather than serving the traveler out of the abundance of his own herds and flocks, he seized that little ewe lamb and served it instead. And when David heard the story, he was outraged. He said, the man who has done this deserves to die. And it was at that moment that Nathan uttered his famous phrase, you are the man. See, this is what prophets do. They tell us in a very direct manner what we have done to earn God's judgment. Now, I'll just say, I know this is an extremely unpopular thing to say today. It's an unpopular idea. We want safe spaces, right? And what we mean by that is that we don't want anyone saying anything negative about anything we do. We want constant affirmation. Just tell me how great I am. Tell me about all my inner potential. It was a fascinating opinion piece in last weekend's New York Times. The article was written by Lee Stein, and it was called The Empty Religions of Instagram. And the article chronicled the way that Instagram influencers have replaced traditional clergy for many people, and for many women in particular. And at one point in the article, she said this. She said, but the women we've chosen as our moral leaders aren't challenging us to ask the fundamental questions that leaders of faith have been wrestling with for thousands of years. Why are we here? Why do we suffer? What should we believe in beyond the limits of our puny selfhood? She went on to say the whole economy of Instagram is based on our thinking about ourselves, posting about ourselves, working on ourselves. And what the article was really highlighting is the fact that what we're looking for primarily is affirmation. We want someone to tell us we're beautiful just the way we are. We don't need to change at all. What we don't want is anyone telling us we're wrong. Now, look, I understand that. I'm not advocating some kind of toxic relationship environment where you're just sort of supposed to bathe in a stream of negativity. But one of the reasons we need a prophet is because we need someone who will tell us the truth about ourselves. Someone who will turn us from error. I can guarantee you the Instagram influencers will not tell you that you are dead in your trespasses and sins and that you are enslaved to them. So this message of repentance that the prophets came preaching isn't some kind of add-on to the gospel. It's an essential part of it. Read through the Old Testament prophets. You'll find a constant call to repent. Turn back to the Lord. But the message of repentance didn't stop with the end of the Old Testament age. 
listen to a sampling of verses from the Gospels. Now, John the Baptist was a prophet. Here's what we're told about him and his preaching. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And what was his message? Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or we could think about Jesus as he began his ministry. As he began his ministry, we're told this. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this was also the message of the apostles. This is what we see in this passage and what we see in the last verse of this passage, verse 26, where it says, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. See, we need a prophet because we need someone who will tell us to turn from our error. We need someone who will tell us we are headed in the wrong direction. Now, it's probably been at least 25 years since I last watched the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. But I remember one scene in that movie quite clearly. John Candy and Steve Martin are driving down the highway at full speed. Now, unknown to them, they're actually on the wrong side of the highway, and they will soon encounter oncoming traffic. And there is a motorist on the other side of the ditch or the median who's desperately trying to get their attention, honking his horn, yelling at them, and they eventually kind of notice. They roll down the window, want to know, what is it that this person wants? And he's able to communicate with them, you're going the wrong way. And they roll the window up. And John Candy says, he must be drunk. How does he know where we're going? And I think this is the mistake we make so often. We hear the voice of God. You're going the wrong way. We hear a prophet tell us, don't go in that direction. And we just casually dismiss it. I know what's best for me. It's the third reason that God gives us a prophet or third reason we need a prophet. And that is to bless us. Now, we don't want to miss this. I mean, it's not as if the prophets were all kind of doom and gloom. That word that might seem harsh to us is actually for our benefit. Notice again what verse 26 says. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. See, that's a blessing. Now, in this passage, Peter actually highlights three blessings that come from making the proper response to God's prophet. The first of those is that we experience full pardon. So verse, eight, verse 19, the full of verse 19 reads, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. The Greek word that's rendered as blotted out here means to wash off or erase or obliterate. It's the same word that's used twice in the book of Revelation when it says that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There's no remembrance of it. Have you reflected on this lately? 
Have you thought about the freedom that comes from knowing your sins are forgiven in Christ? I referred to the prophet Nathan's encounter with King David earlier. Most commentators think that David wrote Psalm 32 after his sin with Bathsheba and after he had been confronted by Nathan the prophet. Listen to how that psalm begins. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And then David says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. He's talking about what it's like to live with unconfessed sin. And then he says, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That is an incredible blessing. Full pardon from God. The second blessing Peter highlights is in the very next line. He says, repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The times of refreshing might come. See, that's the positive counterpart to forgiveness. God doesn't just wipe our sins away. He gives us new life and allows us to experience a renewed spirit. And as God's prophet, Jesus proclaims that over us. As a picture of that, I think of the paralytic that Jesus healed. Now, if you remember the story, you will remember that Jesus said both, your sins are forgiven and take up your mat and go home. And there's a sense in which Jesus says both to us. He tells us both that our sins are forgiven and that we are free to pick up our mat and go home. We experience both the blotting out or the wiping out, the erasing of our sins and refreshment from the Lord. But Peter goes on. He says, repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing might come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So that third blessing, that third that is future. It's a promised blessing. And the promise is that Jesus will restore all things. So our past is taken care of. Our sins are blotted out. Our present is provided for. There's a renewal or refreshing that we experience and our future is secure. Jesus will restore all things. All the brokenness in this world will be taken care of. All the pain will be ended. 
Do you see the great blessing that is ours through Jesus, our prophet? Complete forgiveness, spiritual refreshment, and universal restoration of a sin-cursed world. So the last question is, what are we supposed to do with a prophet? And we see this question answered in verses 22 and 23 where Peter is quoting directly from Deuteronomy 18, the passage I read earlier. Peter says this, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. So what those verses are telling us is that we can either reject or accept God's prophet. Now, this is true about prophets in general. We can choose to tune things out that we don't want to hear. Look, I'm only going to listen to people who will affirm whatever I choose to do. We can do that. We can just shut the other voices out. But the prophet Peter is talking about is the one Moses said God would raise up. It's Jesus. And we can choose to accept or reject Jesus as well. Jesus told a parable that encapsulates Israel's history, really encapsulates all of human history. We read it in Luke chapter 20. It says, and he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants, so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away, empty-handed. And he sent another servant. But they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, him, they said to themselves, This is the heir, let us kill him, so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. The meaning of the parable is quite simple. God sent his prophets over and over again to the people. And over and over again, they rejected them. And when he sent his son, they did the same thing. There were many, and there are many, who reject Jesus. What Peter says here is that those who do that will be cut off or destroyed. See, every action has a reaction. Every decision has a consequence attached to it. Every soul that does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from their people, cut off from them. You know, it's possible that we hear that and we think, well, I haven't rejected Jesus. I mean, I believe he was a prophet. He taught lots of good things. I accept him in that sense. 
Lots of people adopt that kind of posture towards Jesus. Lots of religious systems adopt that posture towards Jesus. Jesus was a prophet. But Peter tells us what it actually means to accept the prophet God raised up. And what he tells us is that accepting or receiving God's prophet means doing what he says. The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. So how do we know if we've made the right response to the prophet that God has raised up? Well, it's not by checking a box that says, yes, I accept him. The way we know is by whether or not we listen to what he tells us. I mean, isn't this what Jesus meant when he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven? On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your names and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So listen, my hope and prayer in sharing this message is that there is no one who is watching or listening today who rejects or dismisses Jesus. Now, if this is all new to you and you've got some questions, questions about Jesus, you know he's a prophet, you're not sure what really to do, Look, I, I, I wish you were here in person. I wish we could chat afterwards. But I would encourage you, just send an email to our office, info at crossridgechurch.ca. Reach out to us. We'd love to reach out to you and explain more what it means to follow Jesus as our prophet. But maybe this is all old to you. I mean, you've heard it many times. But maybe today you hear the voice of God speaking to you through his word. You need to heed the words of Jesus. Repent, turn back, submit yourselves to him. We all need to hear that word at times. So let me just pray for us as we close. Father, we thank you that you have not left us without a witness. You have sent your prophets. More than that, you sent your prophet, Jesus, to help us understand what you're like and what we ought to do in response. God, I do pray for any listening or watching today that by your spirit you would speak to them to know what it is they ought to do with Jesus the prophet. God, I pray for each of us that we would be those who do what you tell us to do, who hear what you say and respond by saying, we will listen to the voice of the prophet Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.